Should we should we hear the sound one more time? Just like get yeah. into it. Hey guys, welcome back. I took a hiatus from the come up to see the behind the scenes of the Soldier World Tour following Soldier Boy and CEO Miami Mike. I met a lot of major industry players, including tons of managers, where I was able to learn more about the industry so we could talk together on here. I was working on a few other projects on the side and admiring the previous episode of the Eanes Brothers. Can you believe the career jump of Travis Kelsey since we last talked? I mean, talk about Mr. King of the World. Dating Taylor Swift now? So many new questions. Hopefully, we will do a follow-up next season with everybody. But for now, I want to get into a change of scenery for the come-up. We are dipping into country music today. I am honored to have spoken with Bruce Kalmick, the founder of Winehow Management under the Red Light Management umbrella with the legendary Corin Capshaw. Bruce is the manager of Chase Rice, Whiskey Myers, Breland, Daniel Bradbury, Kaleo, and more. He's a wonderful guy, a true family man, and exactly who you'd want to be on your team. Bruce talks about his love for the Atlanta Braves, how he met Chase Rice and Whiskey Myers, and let me tell you guys, you're going to want to stick around to learn how Whiskey Myers was discovered. And let's just say, it was by pure accident, and the story is unbelievably funny. Have to knock on every door. Also, we have an exclusive interview with Chase Rice, so please stick around for that. I won't give you too much because it's coming up here in 10 seconds. My conversation with Bruce Kalmick of Why and How, everybody. Enjoy. Well, let's start with the South. Yeah. You're from Charleston? I was born there. Born in Charleston? I would say I'm not from Charleston, though, but uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, and then eventually Texas. And there were like a couple stints in Texas. Um, but yeah, born in Charleston, it's hard for me to be like, yo, yo, Charleston, what up? <laughs> yeah. Representing, I was there until I was like four months old. So, yeah. Um, but so that I, you were close enough to Atlanta that that somehow became the Braves. Do you want kind that, of thing? Do you want that story? I'm ready. I'm All ready. Right, let me, so I need a cliff notes. Or, yeah. Um, by the way, he's a huge Braves fan. We massive, just talked about it. Massive Braves. And, you know, I don't know when this is going to air exactly, but. What a double play to end game two last night for Braves. <laughs> Hopefully we're in the World Series when this airs. Um, but um, moved, and this was, I think, the fourth state. We were in Picayune, Mississippi. Um, and to try to, like, really understand how terrible it was, I grew up incredibly poor um, it, with a fairly, like, abusive you know, situation in my childhood and I won't get into fine details on that, but we're starting off really strong. Yeah. Yeah. It starts strong. Here. But, <laughs> um, but then my neighbor across the street was this, the old lady, we were like scared to, you kick the ball over there. It's like, Oh, we got to run over there real quick and get the ball. And my parents had a, a garage sale or whatever. We didn't have a garage, but, um, and, and he, my dad had two sleeves sets of baseball cards, 1987 Donruss, 1987 tops. Um, which ends up the 87 tops are like a legendary set, but she, she says to my dad, I would buy these, but I'd rather your sons start to collect. And my older brother really didn't have a lot of desire. I did. And she's like, why don't you come over to my house? She's across the street and her name, Miss Williams. Um, turns out she was Pee Wee Reese's sister-in-law. And I'm like, just to paint the picture a little bit, we we lived in a, a house. She lived in a house, and there was a house next to her. 
and then there was a trailer park around us. Um, we hunted for food, literally. You know, we had, you know, I mean, it was it was tough living. Yeah. But it, it created me in a lot of ways, honestly. But um, so I go into her house, and I'll never forget it. It, you know, to me, the wall was like five times bigger than what we're looking at right here. And it was all VHS tapes. So she had recorded every Braves game since like 1982 or something. So whenever VHS started. And um, she's, so I wasn't a Braves fan. I wasn't a, I was a sports fan because I was, you know, moderately athletic. It, I was in the first grade, right? So, um, and then she starts to show me her baseball card collection. And the first card that I saw, I will, um, I promise you, will never forget this. Mickey Mantle rookie card. This card just sold for $14 million in a PSA 9. No way. Uh, she had Ted Williams. She, it was the greatest card collection the world has ever known. And, and she lived by herself. And and so she's like, let's watch Braves games. She was a Saints fan. That didn't take for me. But uh, <laughs> but the Braves did. And I started watching them. So she's like, let's start watching them from the year you were born, 1981. And I caught up. This was 1990. I caught up. And then 91, the Braves won the pennant, and they won 14 straight. You know, only one World Series, but um, we ended up moving away, and there's a lot of drama around that. And um, and we stayed in touch, but, you know, there were no cell phones back then. So I, I met Nolan Ryan at a TV station in Houston. So I moved to Houston, got him to sign two cards, mailed her one. Like, I tried to st- and. and she went blind. Her nephew took over, and it. I don't know what that collection. Yeah, I was about to say, what happened to this collection? My best guess. Like, yeah, I'm in the sports card business now. Yeah, he probably sold it for fifty grand or something crazy like that. And, and that card just sold for fourteen million dollars. It wasn't graded, great grading cards. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. Then, but yeah. if it was a two, it would be worth a lot, you know. But crazy. the the so the. Like a lot of people, their story, you know, it's like my dad made me a Cowboys fan or what my, the proximity, it, it was this lady, Miss Williams, who, you know, obviously she, she passed the Braves honored her. She's like one of the lifetime oh, wow. Braves, you know, honorees or plaques on the wall. I've seen it. Um, she made me a Braves fan and it's literally in my son's newborn photos and, um, my family, is you know like we move around based on the Braves playoff schedule, um, but that, yeah, that's why I'm bracing. That's, that's great, and I, I think it's really cool that she showed you the the Braves all the way from when you were born all yeah. the way up. That was like a that I mean that's like watching a TV show. You know, you're yeah. caught up. Yeah, that's great. It, it was it it was a, it sounds like it's about the Braves and about sports, but it was actually probably the most important part of my childhood. Yeah, and she gave me this place to sort of be okay and be happy. And it, that's how I sort of, you know, mentally survived those days. That's cool. And did you ever, because you're from Charleston, born in Charleston, did you ever spend time in Savannah? I've never been to Savannah as far really? as I know, you know, um, no, never been there. That's crazy. And I know and you're from there and now I'm, I'm I need from there. to go. And, and I saw Whiskey Myers there. So yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You, and, yeah. I, and you weren't there. What, you, you didn't come on that tour? Yes. You were there for Actually, the tour. I go to every single show of every band that I represent. I don't know how I miss that one, but and uh, you were like Savannah. No, we're yeah. gonna keep the streak going. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I go, I go to, I, I do, I, I'm gonna go to this, yeah. this amphitheater. It sounds like it's awesome. Yeah, so it's I can't great. wait to go. But yeah, the in market, in market. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I definitely need to get you to Savannah. Yeah. That needs to happen. I'm all in. Okay, so early childhood, you 
everything I know about you is that you're a big entrepreneur. Mm. You always had side hustles. So what are some of the side hustles that you had going on? Uh, I mean, really the, the core, uh, was what I could get my hands on, which was lawn work, you know, whether it was raking leaves at the earliest level that I can remember for 10 bucks or whatever, you know, people just felt bad for me when I knocked on their door, to be honest, but, (laughs) but I had a flyer, I had services and fees, what I, and it evolved and I ended up really having a landscaping company. I don't think I was great at it, you know, I'm not gonna lie, but I had to mow my own yard. I convinced my dad to let me use our lawnmower to do it. I think I then bought equipment. I, I don't know, but I just, I went, the, the, it wasn't about mowing the yards. It was like, so I, I built a flyer and I'm going to mow your, I'm going to lay tile. I'll assist in construction work. I'll train kids in the sports that I know. Yep. You know and these were like five and six year old kids and I was 12. I mean, I really teaching think soccer, right? Soccer, baseball, any sport. Oh, all sports. Babysitting. Babysitting, yeah. I mean, any, I just, I always felt like I was behind the curve, you know, and that I think that's the entrepreneurial's plight, to be honest. Like at 12 years old, I felt like if I don't knock on every door in my neighborhood, and at this point, we're in a big suburb in, in Sugarland, Texas, and I'm like, I got to knock on every door in Sugarland, you know, otherwise I'm leaving something on the table. And I thought everyone was like that. I really did. But, you know, looking back, I know that that wasn't real, you know. But for me, you know, coming from nothing and wanting to not be in that position, there was no other choice. So I'm like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. 20 20 bucks at a time. It seems like that was the the theme. It was like always figuring out the next level. Yeah. So also I read that your dad did remodeled kitchens and you also worked for him as well too. Is that true? Yeah. 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 The one great thing I got from my father was, was... his ability to sell. I mean, he could sell anything to anyone. I just wanted to do it differently, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but yeah, he, he remodeled everything, you know, that he had home remodeling business and the window and doors business. And that's what moved, you know, people were like, why'd you live in nine States? You're in the army, Nate. What was it? No, I'm like, my dad was a, was a, a, a systemically failing <laughs> serial entrepreneur in the home remodeling <laughs> business. I mean, basically, yeah. but, um, you know, it, it made me who I am. Like if I, if I came from a wealthy family and I didn't understand the difference between having and not having, I don't think I'd be where I'm at today. You know? yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, I did, I did learn that your dad was in the world series of poker. Is that yeah. true? It was actually a pretty prominent moment in, in the business side. So I had already started, the, my our first business, which was KB Talent, Calmick and Brown, right. um, my first partner, Ricky Brown, um, and my dad won this big poker tournament in Houston, and he could take ten grand or go to the World Series of Poker and get the entry. He was in it, so me and a couple of friends went, and we had that was cool watching him. Yeah, and he he was at some point in like top hundred, and he ended up losing. It was a whole deal. He lost in the first day after like twenty hours of being in it, but has nothing to do with that. So I was in a world of debt. I graduated college. You know, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife. Um, she's like, something's got to give here. You know, I went to Vegas with a hundred bucks basically. And, but there was Bodog was like a big gambling early in the gambling world, like too early, uh, Canadian gambling company. And they were essentially the biggest trying to break through, and I, we walked by the booths so many times, and there was just like a free raffle. Um, or if you spin the wheel, you get a ticket, and you could win this Harley Davidson. This Harley was right there. And 
we walk by it five times. Finally, ah, Ricky, let's just spin it. He spins it. He gets a keychain and one entry. I spin it, and this is the world of odds for you. I spin it and I get two entries. So I get, and it was like weighted board, just shit, right? Um, <laughs> so I put two entries in, and three weeks later, I was somewhere with my. You won the Harley. So my my business partner at the time, he calls <laughs> me. He goes, he's someone just called and said you won Harley Davidson. I said, dude, do you remember the? the I, but this has to be a lie. What's the catch? Yeah. How much do I have to pay to yeah. ship it? And and I literally grilled this guy. So Ricky put him on the phone with me at some point. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is this isn't real. And I grilled the guy. I'm like, what's the catch? what's the catch? Yeah. It was gift tax to me, mailed to our front door, and I needed the money to pay, you know, student loans and to keep moving forward with this business. Flipped it. it. So I'd sold it before it arrived. Uh, my <laughs> father-in-law is the only one that ever like got on it. He's a motorcycle guy, and he rode it around the neighborhood. And some insurance guy from San Antonio bought it. Great, but it's funny how God works, you know. Cause yeah, that's I, crazy. That was I went there with a hundred bucks. I won a Harley. That that cash from the sale really was the it it led to me continuing on in the music business. And you're, it seems like, well, like I said, you're an entrepreneur, but you're a self-starting entrepreneurial independent person. And it seems like you got started kind of the same way I did. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong anywhere in this, but I started managing a couple friends of mine and that was like, they were a rap group. It was a comedy rap is little Dicky on, you know, but like 15 of them on stage jumping around and it, it was fun. You started with a high school group too. Is yeah. that a high school rap group as well too? They were rap rock. So my, Ricky Brown from K, KB Talent, he was in it. He, him and a guy named Greg Garner, who uh, is still out there playing. Um, they they started Fifty Seven State, and you know it was Houston rap. If you know anything about Houston rap, um, which is some full circle. There's stuff a lot of Houston it. rappers. There's I mean, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, Houston rap's huge. Massive, and Massive. it's and it's having another moment with that Mexican OT, and like there's there's always a, the the cyclical nostalgic things that happen there, but um, but yeah, that we started a production company called Data Fade Productions, and I was the head of marketing, I think, I don't know, um, so basically managing the bank, you know, whatever. We didn't know what we were doing. We we're in high school, yeah, um, but we went to school together. Everyone ended up coming there, and that's how we kind of. That's really how it started for me. And I watched, really, I'll never forget Paul Wall oh, yeah. finishing a show. And this was, this was like Paul Wall, SPM. SPM's in prison for life for doing some bad stuff. But, and Paul <laughs> Wall walks off this show and it was sold out. Um, I forget the venue. And he goes straight to his Civic and he starts selling mixtapes and CDs out of the back of his Civic. And I was, I was moved by it. I'm like, this is what it's all about. And, uh, and that's how we still operate today. It's like, if you're not operating that way, one fan at a time and hustling at that level, I'm a hustler, I'm a hustler at the, yeah. at the core, Yeah. whether it was music or sports, or if I was remodeling homes, I'd be hustling. Um, I'm just blessed to be able to do it in this, in the entertainment industry. But yeah, it started watching that system sort of built, you know, for sure. And are you still in touch with those guys still today? So, yeah, so um, it, this was already announced, so I think it's safe to talk about, but I'm executive, I, I have executive produced the DJ Screw documentary that's coming out next year, and I, and we, we, we're making an album to go with it, and 
you know, all those legends are going to be a part of it and they're in the documentary. Um, so the full circle moment is that I was connected through the, my cousin, who's a showrunner in LA. He's like, do you know who DJ screw is? You know, we go through ideas for documentaries and unscripted TV. Um, just, he bounces stuff off me and he was going through a list and DJ screw was, I said, hold on, DJ screw. I was like, what's this, what's the story here? Um, so now I'm a part of this, this, uh, DJ screw documentary. He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, he's the, he's the, he's the influence behind all of it, you know? Yeah. So now I'm directly involved with him and his family and, and this, uh, sound, the soundtrack and documentary. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I, I, I guess shortly after this time, if I, if I, if I know the timeline correctly, shortly after this time you attend college at Texas state university, mm-hmm. San Marcos, mm-hmm. uh, Texas, and then you become very actively involved with your fraternity. What, mm-hmm. what was that fraternity called? Pi Kappa Phi. Pi Kappa Phi. And then it sounds like that became an even better way to like produce you as a, you know, you became an even more natural leader in that moment. And I guess because of the the office run, so you read for everything except for president. Tell me like yeah. what that was like for yeah, you. Yeah, I was social chair and I, I was VP and Ricky Brown was the president when I was a VP or whatever they called it. Um, but honestly, when I look back on college, it's really hard for me to, to be like, oh, this, this business class I took was the key. Yeah. It it really wasn't on, we joined a fraternity that had 10 members, Ricky (laughs) and I, we decide like we can join the big one or we can kind of start our own thing over here with this one. Um, what we didn't know is we were just starting a business, you know, I mean, it's absolutely a business and I'm glad we were naive and we didn't think of it that way, but man, it was struggling. Like we struggled with budget and, you know, recruiting members. Well, we left and we had the biggest fraternity on campus when we left and, you know, we recruited, we sold, we built a culture at the end of the day. So it's definitely the thing in college that, and I know my wife would hate to hear me say that and my son to hear that like the thing in college was a fraternity. Yeah. I don't even know if I believe in for the fraternity <laughs> role, but yes, for me, it was like a, a really big part of who I am. Right. And, and would you say that that was, I mean, you said, you know, you can't pinpoint where all this all started, but you'd say that's probably a really big problem solving skill that you, yeah. that you gained over those years. Right. I mean, it really started when I was so young again yeah door to doors yeah Yeah. for sure um all of these experiences that you had high school college everything kind of led to your booking company kb talent Mm -hmm. and you had over 50 plus acts in texas and in oklahoma just all over all over yeah Yeah. and i I learned a new term uh it's red dirt music yeah that's referring to oklahoma the red dirt in oklahoma also bands that probably get started inside of like a, a like a some sort of bar or some sort right Texas Red Dirt. It, it, it couldn't just be Texas music. We had to incorporate Oklahoma because, you know, Cross Canadian Ragweed right. was really the biggest band in the scene at that time. So Texas Red Dirt is, is really the genre. Now yeah. it's evolved into, it, it finally, it, it was only a matter of time, but it finally pushed its way way outside of this this marketplace. And that's Parker McCollum and Whiskey Myers and mm-hmm. Co Wetzel and so on and so forth. Cody Huge. Johnson. Those are all part of the scene. So. And that was all part of you were, that's where you kind of got that intro to, in, yeah. to all of them too, right? Like, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Whiskey Myers, but, um, you booked it all. And then how different is booking the booking experience compared to like what it is managing? Um, you know, t- 
typically if you ask an agent today and a manager today, it's very clear what they do. But back then we started a booking agency without an artist. Um, we had a Polestar account and we signed bands. I don't know why they would sign with us, but they did. They were desperate. Um, and we ended up eventually sort of pushing our way into the Texas red dirt scene. And there was competition. Like these agents that were our competition, there was an agency called AUE and, you know, we can laugh about it now. And I'm really good friends with the guys that were, that owned it and ran it. And, you know, one of them is now a major agent at CAA and the other one owns restaurants and bars and he's a very happy, successful father and entrepreneur himself. But I emailed, snail mailed, faxed. Um, I just wanted to work at AUE for free. You know, my junior year of college. Yeah. I got zero response from, from them. Yeah. Um, so that was, I was like, well, let's just do it on our own. Um, but so as agents back then with that aren't, we weren't at WME or CA or UTA or ICM or whatever agency group. There were so many, um, we pretty much did everything that a manager would do for an artist, even in those early days, um, high level vision and strategy. We didn't know what we were doing, but it, it, it was a, it was a really easy progression in the management because yeah. yes, we booked their shows, which is what agents do in the music side, but it didn't really do us any good if we booked a show and people didn't show up. Right. So, all right, well, let's help you with this, that, and the other. And it, it, it was an easy progression into our first two signings on the management side. So, and, and what about while you're booking these acts, did any one of them take off completely? Like, is it, I mean, it's all relative, right? I, I, I was telling the story the other day. Um, we had an artist, um, that we booked 10 shows at what was at the time, like the staple breakthrough place to play, which is midnight rodeo. Um, so it was 10 shows with a thousand dollars a show. We're like, Oh my God, wow. we've made it we can do this. Like we can, we'll make enough money to get through this week. Um, but no, I mean, really, I can't really, I don't understand how we sustain KB talent, but we did. And we got to the point where we could pay ourselves something, but it was really management that really perpetuated, built the, what, what we have today. And do you still have a really, obviously I think the answer is yes, because whiskey Myers, but do you still have a relationship with all these people that you worked with? during kb yeah i mean people it's ah, god that makes me want to go back and like build a timeline of like where they're at now but yeah the the short answer is yes great relationship so who do you currently manage um there's about 20 artists on um the why and how roster um but the first band i ever signed was whiskey myers um and that was uh that was 2000 eight I want to say um it was Josh Abbott and Whiskey Myers the first I was I was like we got to go into management we're going to go head first um I discovered Josh Abbott through one of our interns and and Whiskey Myers was this crazy story that is going to be full circle next year um love to tell you that if you want is that the MySpace story MySpace. MySpace and Whiskey Falls? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. want to hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah. So the we were we were basically Jason Kane has been the talent buyer for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo for a long like a long twenty years. I don't know. Um he's now consulting for him and, you know, needs to take take a rest and do some other things in his life, I think. But um always been a good friend and 
always there to answer the call, whatever. Um, so he, he saw us as an opportunity to take all of these young bands and put them on these side stages around the fair. Uh, never main stage, of course. That's 80,000 people and a whole different deal. Um, but one day, I think he was just being nice, and he, and he said, have you heard of this band, Whiskey Myers? And, uh, you know, nope, haven't heard of them, but if you're saying something, I go on, and MySpace was the deal. I find them. They had an album that wasn't released yet, technically, but it was on their MySpace page, you know, you know those days. And I was like, this is awesome. I love Southern Rock. Um, and I got a hold of John Jeffers, who's one of the guitar players, and they showed up in my my office the next day at 2 p.m. Um, with the tour manager who now works for Wyatt Howe as well, um, Chris Alexander. And um, I signed him on the spot. I'm like, let's go. Um, uh, Jason Kane calls me three weeks later. We were off and running. Booked, I was booking him shows. I, was, I got the record put into a... Uh, I made a CD. You know, we got distribution. We were starting to do some things, but... Uh, Jason called me. He's like, "Hey, did you ever look up that band Whiskey Falls?" And I was like, "Uh, n- uh dude, you said Whiskey Myers." And he's like, "Oh, I was just like, you know, check. It was Whiskey something. I was just trying to give you a lead." And I won't say a lot about Whiskey Falls, but they're they're not. Um, they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, they didn't make it. Um, but it was an accident. You know, it was just it's just great. Well, it was God. Yeah, know? that was the greatest yeah. accident of yeah. all time. Yeah. Um, but they didn't, they weren't, it took them 10 years to make it, you know? So we had to, man, that was, we had to pound the pavement. Um, uh, obviously they're a big band now. So, so um, did you know the, tr- the band's trajectory? Like, I mean, you, you, you said I love Southern rock. Yeah. This is your first signing. So are you like, yeah. could you see them? Like what you put in your, like, you were like, I'm certain that yeah. this is going to be it. Yeah. I, I've never once had a hesitation about, about whiskey Myers. Um, you know, I'm an overly optimistic guy too, though, so I don't really hesitate about a lot of things. Let's sign and let's go, you know, and it doesn't always work, obviously, but with them, I love them as people. Um, they were young. I was too, you know, yeah. so it's like this perfect combination of like uh, ignorance almost. It can be blissful, right? So, um, but what I saw live was just hard to ignore. And man, they just, the, the, that's a whole nother podcast to talk yeah, about the evolution sure. and, and where, how they got to where they are. But, um, you know, I, I definitely saw it from a live perspective. I'm like, no one else is doing it this well. Live, yeah. so. And flash forward to right now, yeah. you know, we're, we're surrounded right now by all their albums by, or by, you know, them mm-hmm. going platinum and you have Red Rocks, uh, mm-hmm. you have Red Rocks right here. They have awards that they give out or I guess plaques. Yeah. So, what like how it's got to be you got to feel so proud yeah. from taking them from the ground up yeah. i mean i mean it was it, it's an, it takes an army i mean eddie Kalasel, who's the the vp one of the vps at Winehow, he came on board in 2011 i want to say and the band was they had a business you know um but it needed to be it needed to be cultured and built and there there are so many moments where it should have ended with them that we just found a way to keep moving forward um, but yeah, it's like I'm sitting at Red Rocks, watching them a couple years ago. Their first time was, I mean, I'm I cried, you know. And then they sold out two, two this year. year. Um, but there's been a lot. That's the that's the payoff for me in every way. Like, not 
plaques and awards, even though you see them all over or whatever. But it's not that. It's like if you, you see the fans feedback and sing every word. When he, when Cody sings Broken Window Serenade, he, he only has to sing like one part of it. The fans sing the whole thing back to him. It's it's incredibly moving, you know, because we had a small part in, in creating this moment and, and it's uh it's special. The other thing is is that they're so popular right now because of y'all's choice to be on Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. It seems like that was a huge, you know, huge. stepping stone for them to be able to be seen on the level that you've you've envisioned them in the first place. So how how important has Yellowstone been? You know, I I uh I would say the most powerful person in country music is Taylor. Um, you know, he, I was already a huge fan. Wind River is one of my favorite movies ever. I think that movie's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, Sicario and all, you know, he was already sort of prolific. But when it was brought to us that he had a TV show on a network we had never heard of that had a, a prestige name and they had a very low budget and they wanted, as much as they can get, I didn't hesitate. I'm like, you're you're gonna know one person. It's Kevin Costner. And I'm like, well, what what do we have to lose? You know, you control the music, so we gave him everything we controlled, and uh, holy cow, um, it really ignited a, a generation of music fans in a way that no one could ever predict. Um, so I mean, I, it's everything. You know, they yeah. they had Whiskey Myers had a really good business at the time though, so. I always say that was their their Stapleton CMA moment, which if music is really real and organic and authentic, there's there's got to be some moment that pushes it into pop culture. For Stapleton, I'm I, I mean with Timberlake on CMA, I mean it went nuts. I mean that was crazy. Um, for Whiskey Myers, and I had already seen this with Kaleo too, how TV film is so impactful. For music and culture for whiskey myers we didn't know what the thing was going to be but we knew that they were so good and the music was so special we just had to keep on pushing you know and they they had a good business at that time a really good business but it just went nuts you know um yeah and now they're re-airing it you know it's like in prime time again and yeah there's all there's new discovery happening again it's awesome yeah it's great and and going back real quick you you kb talent kind of they you sell it 2007 mm-hmm. 2008 you have a you have a new venture which is a, a ambient ambiance ambiance artist ambient yeah. worst ambient. name ever yeah. right and then, <laughs> which gets absorbed by triple eight no we partnered partners yeah. already partnered yeah. with triple yeah. eight yeah. and it seems like a lot of partnerships here and here and there what yeah. that partnership seems like it helped you a put your foot you know in nashville mm-hmm. you're you're now meeting everybody in the country scene you're on music row yeah. um that, that let's talk about chase rice for a minute how does Chase come into the scene? Because you're the one who mm-hmm. brings him to this company, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, there's two guys that I give a lot of credit. Like I did, I've never had a mentor, but but Joey Lee, who's one of the partners at WME in Nashville, at the time he had his own agency. In between leaving his family's agency and going to WME called 360 Artists, and and he introduced me to a lawyer named Jess Rosen, who's a legend, represents. Yeah, everybody. Um, yeah. One of the most important lawyers in the history of the music business, um, or people in general, lawyers. Uh, so Joey and Jess, they really, for whatever reason, they, they saw something in me, and they really pushed me to Music Row, you know? Um, 
Joey signed Whiskey Myers, then Josh Abbott. And, you know, I because we still were booking them. KB Talent was still a thing. And, you know, so we were like, well, we can't beat WME. Let's join them. Um, and Joey introduced me to Jess, even though they bicker on who introduced who, um, which is kind of funny. But, um, and, you know, today Joey represents a lot of our clients. Jess, you know, if you look around this room, Jess is the lawyer for probably 70% of my clients. A dear friend, you know, he's like family to me. And he called me one day and he's like, have you heard of this kid, Chase Rice? And I was like, yeah, I see him popping up on the iTunes chart, you know, independent. Um, he's like, he's about to sign with somebody else. Can I put you on the phone with him? You should at least meet him. So I, you know, and Jess has done that a lot and I've returned the favor quite a few, a few times, I think. But, um, but yeah, Jess connected me with Chase. We talked for a couple hours. Um, I flew to Chicago, saw a show. I was blown away by him as a person, but by the show, he just got the live side. It took him a long time if we if we really want to go through the evolution to get to you know this album he just put out and what's about to come. But fifth album, right? Yeah, correct. yep. And uh, but he had the, the entertainment side, and that's what we know best: selling tickets and seeing consumers react to live. Um, but yeah, it was um, you know I feel just super blessed to have folks like Jess and Joey in my life. And then Chase and I just, we, we jumped in, you know, like, let's do this. Let's, yeah. You know, we, we both had a chip on our shoulder. Is Jess is like, um, the, the God, I'm trying to think of the word is, is the approval of Jess. Did that, was that the reason why Chase didn't go big and went, not that you weren't, mm-hmm. but did, that, yeah. cho- that chose you to go, Hey, I'll be family yeah. with you. Let's make this happen. Yeah. I mean, Chase Chase is an instinct guy, and he's he's always trusted that. His story is incredible. I, he's like the Forrest Gump of, of music, in my opinion. Um, he 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 trusted some instinct in his soul to to because he had picked another manager pretty much who was at the show in Chicago. At, oh my god! At Ed Warm's, you know Joe's bar on Weed Street, legendary. And you know I felt like oh, I'm here, good experience. I got to know Ed bet more. I'm not going to sign Chase, which was a bummer to me. It's going to this other guy who's a friend now. Um, but he picked me. I was actually kind of shocked, and um, we've had a lot of success. What was that? What was that? I want to go with you moment. Did, uh, do you remember it? Like, um, gosh, um, a sort of. I, he called me, um, and literally the, the next uh, three weeks later, gosh, it was probably three months. But you know, life is weird. Um, I was sitting at it his first number one party as a songwriter for this song that went nuts. The song? <laughs> yeah. Uh, his roommates, Florida yeah, Georgia Line. Right. When I signed him, the song, Small was, the song was like 45 on the charts, you know, but it had crazy momentum. Um, but I, I signed him before it like went nuts, but you know, it was destined for diamond certification yeah. by the end of that year. Did you hear that song prior to prior to its release? Is that what you're saying or no? No, it was already out. It was already yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before, had, it, went, before it went viral. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. Yeah. So uh, from he has the most incredible traje- like trajectory and like weird background story. Like I, yeah. I know he was so he wrote a song in college, became this big you know kind of popular yeah. guy on campus. Then he got selected to do NASCAR pit crew. Yeah, and he did like back from real 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 rear wheel uh that's a that's a that's a lot yeah. to say uh but he was doing that and he won two championships yeah 
then he goes and lives in Nashville to you know support, do his dream. Is it Nashville? Yeah, no, no. Then it was uh, no. His his story is it's crazy. And you, then he writes mi- for George well, Lynch. You miss one key what's, part. What's the one? What's the one? He, he was on um, Survivor. 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 He basically wins it, finishes second. But yeah. you know, the, I never, I've never watched it. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go my, back. And my watch best it. friend wants to be on Survivor so oh, bad, really? so bad. Well, I know the. Yeah, I know the whole oh, team. Well, yeah, <laughs> they've tried to get Chase to come on and do these reunion things so many times. Yeah, really mad. no, it's it's so crazy because. Yeah, the survivor thing blows him up, and then he uses that money, mm-hmm. that, which I, I read was a like hundred grand, hundred grand, hundred grand. He used the, the money to go and you know make his, his, his well, dream happen. He bought a truck, <laughs> <laughs> and then he drove to Nashville, and and within months he wrote Cruise. I think you yeah. know um, he grew up with Brian Kelly they in Florida, um, and then he moved to the Carolinas. He's he's kind of from both places, but just a uh, you know. A crazy story, and crazy. we kind of independently built something special there too. Yeah. Okay. So you take artists from the ground up, which mm-hmm. is super impressive, and we just talked about a few different examples of that. Can you talk about your method and model for breaking an artist, and how going on tour, selling out shows, and social media play into not only their popularity but also their profitability? Yeah. Um, I mean, at, it's it's the the answer is really pretty simple. It's like how do we get people to do the the most important thing which is buy a ticket to a show so we think backwards from that in the context to everything that gets that consumer to want to buy a ticket to go see the show that's that's everything else right whether it's radio or socials or videos obviously the music has to be important you know great um so we you know when my aunts or uncles or distant relatives like what does it mean to be a manager and like what's like a gm of a restaurant you know they hire fire pick the silverware and you know have a hand in the food you know whatever like they do everything um and that's kind of what we do as managers and and i i've always seen it as a as a team effort you know without you know i could without Haley and chris and eddie and evan like we've created without avery and melanie like we have digital tour marketing it's it's a it's a it's such a group effort i i cannot take credit for it um, but it's, um, you know, it, 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 from one manager to another, these, these things are, the focuses are so different, but, um, for us, it's like, how do we get a great team of people to focus on selling tickets and everything yeah. that comes around that is really icing on the cake. There was something I, I read about how you kind of glorify the sold out shows. Mm-hmm. The sold out shows basically create this like bubbling effect where not only do you sell out that show but your next time at that venue you don't even go there you go to the bigger venue yeah and it's now selling more tickets because the people you just kind of individually sold on the on your music now want to support you on the next one so to build an artist mm-hmm. from the ground up would you say it, it's it's you know high marketing those sold out shows as, as sold out yeah i mean you know i knocked on every door growing up it's no different like and i i i try to tell my team that every day i'm like we you have to knock on every door and uh, in this case, it's one fan at a time. If you can grow a single fan into a super fan, like I did in high school with Jack Johnson, you know, huge, huge. God, I built so good. I really, I b- between me and a few of my friends, Jack Johnson built an audience in Sugarland. So one or two people can create a groundswell. He didn't even have a CD. Available. You were booking for him? No, no, I was just a fan. Yeah, okay, me too. <laughs> yeah, I was just a huge fan in high school before Brushfire Fairy Tales was even a CD. He was a he was a surf 
you know, yeah, that's film right, guy, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I always look at that because I'm like, if you can find one person, the the value of one person is, you know, you don't have you, people look at the global impact of things all the time. I'm like, what if you find one person that can that can turn on five of their friends to the music or to the artist and one of those five becomes a super fan too you've now doubled your audience so if you're doing that and i know that seems like people are talking about one fan at a time all the time i'm like we we do that we try to understand who the fans are we cater to them and that's how we build you know so i don't i'm not discouraged by by new bands that have 120 tickets sold like that's phenomenal you know it's a 300 capacity venue if it takes three times to sell it out, play it a fourth and fifth time. Sold out, leave people on the street, put money into the sellout. It's scarcity. Like people, they want what they can't have. I want to talk more about Triple Eight and like what was that like partnering with them with your first ever management company? And then, you know, what was like their specialty and how, how did that get yeah. you involved? So um, an agent who's now at UTA named Brian Hill called me. I'd met with Corin and Irving, yeah. um, partnering with them, doing something with them. And I wasn't even working with this agent, Brian, at the time, but he called me and just, he's like, before you go do one of these deals, will you go sit down with uh, George Corey? He's in your city. You know, he had seven or eight employees. I had seven or eight employees. He's like, just go sit down with him. I said, okay, I'll sit down with him. And George came to my office and, and um, you know, we, it, it was supposed to be an hour meeting. It lasted several hours. I think he was like, can we meet at 7 a.m.? I was like, that's really peculiar timing, but okay, I'm good with that. And knowing him now, you know, even though the partnership ended, it makes sense. The guy just works tirelessly. You know, he wakes up early. He, he works till, you know, he can't work anymore. And I think that's why he's successful. But, um, but we had a great eight-year run, you know. At the end of the day, um, if you look at, partnerships and you can say eight years successful that's pretty great yeah. you look know? at any tv show that's right that's yeah that's a heck of a syndicated it's a good run. season that's a great yeah so um it was just time for me to to sort of recapture some of the important things culture and family and some of those things and sort of create why now yeah and 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 part of this next part of talking to you uh, i want to talk about your collaboration but it, it sounds like you're always, you know, working with different collaborators and different people that are that are trying to merge businesses and, and scale businesses. Mm -hmm. So are you the big dreamer in all these mergers or are you the man that puts these ideas into action? Or both, or both. Yeah, um, I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary, you know. Um, of course, I have to execute and put them into action, so on and so forth. But no, I, I'm, I, I'm, I love partnership. Um, and I think when both sides have a really good understanding of what the goals are, it can be incredibly successful. Um, so I'm, a, I'm just a big partnership guy. I'll co-manage with anybody. I'll like, let's take one plus one and make it equal eight. You know? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you see in your career or your, the, the, the timeline that you're way open about collaborations. Mm -hmm. Your love for collaboration is very much there. That's a good quality to have, especially like, you know, I, I see that there, it doesn't seem like there's a downside to a, to to it mm -hmm. at all. Like, yeah, you see you see a, a bigger number than than one plus one equal two. It's That's right. a whole different a whole yeah. different mathematic right there. Yeah. But um, what's your philosophy on collaboration and partnerships? Like you said, 
you, you don't see an issue with it, but what's, um, what's been the most exciting one so far? I mean, it's, it, it'd be hard to not say what I'm currently doing, you know? Um, I mean, the David Macias and I had this conversation about a record label. That was really great. And triple tigers has been a, a tremendous success. So it's obviously very exciting to me um, to see the fruits of a vision and idea. I can't take credit for how it got to that point, but the reason we started it was because of a lot of success that we had. Um, but yeah, currently, you know, partnering with Corn Capshaw is, is it 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 almost happened in 2011 before Triple Eight. That was when you first met him, though, yeah. right? Yeah, I met him and we talked through it. I went to L.A. I met with the team there. Yeah, what? Well, what, what happened there? Why, why wouldn't that, why did it I'm, take 2011 to 2023? Well, I met, you know, I met George, you know, and I felt like, um, a, a, you know, that partnership made more sense at the time. You yeah. Know? Um, I was curious. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't really, I don't know. I mean, um, it, obviously my business is a lot different now and, um, and what I've learned in the business is, is, has helped me understand how to be a better partner for you know Corin and his team which is incredible mm -hmm. um and we we have this really great team that is culturally um you know sort of solid uh wine is 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 a is a is a big company coming into red light we're not folded in we work in different offices but we utilize the partnership and all the resources that Corin has built um, and we're four months in and it's been phenomenal and I, I, I'm, I'm excited about the future. Yeah, that's great. And, and for those of you that don't know, that's Corin Capshaw, who's the legendary and very successful manager of both Dave, of a lot of different bands, but Dave Matthews band, fish, lady, a Chris Stapleton, many, many more. And we're going to get more into that in a second here. But, um, yeah, my, 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 my question is, you know, I was, I was, while doing research about you, which I think your life is it's so fascinating and I'm, I'm so I'm happy to be able to tell the story. This is, this is amazing. And thank, thank you. you. But, um, correct me if I'm wrong. You said before in another interview that you've never had a mentor before, yeah. which I think, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Teammates and the consultations and stuff like that. That's what you're, but you're mainly self-taught. Yeah. Um, why would you not have a traditional mentor? Why would you, why wouldn't you cling to somebody? To. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I wanted to, um, like I said, Joey Lee and Jess Rosen are probably the closest thing to it. Um, but you know, they're, they're partners and Joey's an agent for my artist and Jess is a lawyer, but they, they were, they're, if I called them in the middle of this interview, they're going to pick up and, yeah. and help me out. Um, I just, there was, I, I don't, it's not that I, I, I didn't want one. I always wanted one. Um, that's why I was so excited about Corin back in 2011. I'm like, man, if I can, learn from someone why not learn from him or irving at the time i flew to la met with irving and um met jeffrey azoff and you know they're great yeah uh but uh yeah no i'm i'm it's it's one of those it's yeah. a weird deal so um so now hopefully i can mentor others you know i love that and i i mean there's there's a um there's a thing that you said also in in that as well in that other in that interview that i'm looking at or that i'm listening to is that if you could just, and I love this, the philosophy of this, if I could just get 1% of Irving's time a year yeah. and 10% of this guy's time and 5% of this guy's time, and you build the hundred percent of what is a mentor, you didn't have a specific mentor. You had tons of different people that came into your life for mentors for mentorship. Right. Yeah. So I love that. I love that philosophy of just trying to build yeah. that, that percentage 
of what is a mentor because yeah. that's how you broke it down. Absolutely. There's uh, it, these partnerships that uh, it could be someone younger or older. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I would say I'm mentored by my staff, by my team, by my wife, by like there's mentors everywhere. Yeah. Just, influence, just, influence. Yeah, so much influence. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about today. Today's October 10th. We, we, you know, I don't usually date timestamp yeah. the, the, the time that yeah. we talk, but Hey, we're, it's, it's October 10th. Today's world mental health day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that you're an advocate for mental health. How important is your mental health and that of your clients? My clients and my staff and, and anybody yeah. that's sort of a part of our world. It's everything to me, you know, it's, it, 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 it's something that's, it's probably one of the biggest issues in the music business, I would say, on the executive side and on the artist side. Um, it's overlooked. It's underappreciated how how difficult it is to be on the road or be a manager on the road or a tour manager or a guitar player. Man, it's not a good life, you know, at the end of the day. Like, it looks like this really incredible life to live. But the, the reality of it is, even at the highest levels, these folks really battle. Uh, they're missing family. They're missing friends. They relationships struggle. Alcohol and drug abuse is all is rampant. You know, so it's when I started Wine How, it's it's family first, and and we talk about mental health every week. You know, and and we're gonna help anybody that needs it, and we're gonna you know the, I didn't always understand it, so there were probably times where I didn't. Um, you know, take action when artists needed time off or, you know, uh, but now I'm like, no, take a break. We'll cancel shows, cancel tours. Who cares? Let's get you right because the rest of it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And, and frankly, like you can't be successful if you're not mentally healthy, you know? So, uh, it's everything, you know, I mean, um, you can read this afterwards, but this is right by my, my keyboard, but this is read us, read us a little something. Um, it's not about me. It's about my family. I know I'm not well equipped to be everything to everyone, but I can be uh, as everything as possible for my family. So it's starting with family. So these are affirmations that you read mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. When you when you when do you find yourself reading them? Is it every day? Um, or is this a, you'll have a moment and look over? Often, you know, um, it's hard. I have to fight. I have to succeed. I have to be good enough. These are. These are things that I think successful people have to, to battle with. Uh, you have to take the hits. You're significant enough to be confident. Um, just being good enough. Like, I think a lot of people live with um, imposter syndrome that succeed, especially yeah. entrepreneurial. You know, it's part of, the, again... Like, oh, I have a big time. Yeah. It's so... Yeah. It's, it's Who doesn't? You have to, like, look around you sometimes and realize, like, okay, this this feeling is false. It's, it, it's, it's straight up a lie that is, is being forced into your brain by the wrong side of, of life, you know? And this helps you correct that. Yeah. So are these, some of these things like, um, um, we've talked about this before. My mom sends me a lot of quotes. How did you find these? Or did you, did you really, was that you? I wrote these. Yeah. Those are yours. Yeah. This was, this was a couple days of, you know, and God is always with me, you know, at the end, like I will persevere. These are just things that, um, that kind of came to me over the course of uh, a few weeks, I think, and I just kept adding to That's it. Great. So I just kind of turned back on it, and you know, because plaques and awards and all these things they don't they don't really mean a lot if I'm not if, if I'm not with my family, for sure. And if I'm not happy with my family, which was which is something that I faced, you know, like I'm so busy, I'm so pressured in the music business that 
the one thing that you want more than anything is, is just to be a good dad and to be a good husband. And you're letting the business of what you do prevent that. And man, I've been in some dark places because of that. And I, and I, what I don't want is my staff to ever get in those positions. And I don't want the artists to feel like that either. I'm like, let's be mentally healthy. Let's be happy. Let's have more kids. Let's, let's not let the pressures of the music business prevent us from building family, which is what happens, you know? Right. So I, I'm, I'll stand on that, that, uh, the, you know, that box all day and scream it from the rooftops, you know, family over, over money all day, you know, all day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a, a switch in that in your early career versus mm-hmm. where, where that is now, especially because you have, uh, two children yeah. and I'm going to get into that right now because I have a production company called Wooded Gate Pictures, W-O-D-E-D. Sometimes I say it and they're mm-hmm. like, wooden? <laughs> anyway, Wooded Gate Pictures is actually the address of my grandparents' house in Dallas, Texas. It's where all my favorite memories were from. It's, it's just, it means something so much to me. So when I see why and how, I wonder why is, why is it why and how? Yeah. And there's some really amazing symbolic uh, yeah. part to why you named it that. So can you go ahead and explain that? Yeah, I mean, I it, I didn't come up with the name actually. Um, a former employee did. I my directive to folks when I was trying to figure out the name was I wanted to include my family in some way. So, um, man, uh, I'll forever be grateful for her for coming up with it. And she sent it to me with like the colors and everything. And why the why and the how is like you know you can easily look at that every day. Like why and how are we doing whatever it is that we're doing. But Wyatt and Hazel, my two kids, I was blown away by it. Um, so um, that's it. That's everything to me. And my, you know, there's a label called Wyatt Road and Hazel Street. Like everything is family, um, and and we'll continue that. So. And I and I'm 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 now trying to uh, to make sure that I. I have four kids. They're all going to be named www, <laughs> and then we're going to partner, which is what he loves to do. It's going to be the who, what, when, where, why, and how, Bingo. and that's it. That's our that's our company. Who, what, when, where? Okay. So, uh, how many people work at this company? Twenty-seven. Uh, Twenty-seven. Yeah. Wow. What? How many people started with you? Ten or eleven. You know, and I thought that it was going to stay that way for a while, but my capacity to scale and my my hunger to like build is it's kind of hard to to you know my wife is like start just be small be patient i'm like yeah i'm going to and next thing you know there's 20 employees right so um (laughs) i just i'm not i don't micromanage people um i build systems and philosophies and culture and it's so exciting to me to see like young people succeed as managers or marketers or creatives um Everyone that's come into the Winehouse family is culturally a part of the bigger picture, which is, you know, family impact, and 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 then we get to be in the music business, which is a blessing. So. And um, and speaking about partnerships, now you we just talked about this, but Corin's uh, red light management, which I think is really cool. I actually, um, you know, through all through all this research of, of learning different management companies, he's got one of the biggest companies i mean outside of the biggest outside of you know wme and ca and all these big giant agencies huge agencies but he's got tons of subdivisions tons of managers tons of genres um and it just seems kind of endless so the partnership sounds like it makes sense to me especially for your your trajectory yeah totally um there yeah there's a there's a lot about it that that everything about corin is is hard to ignore and not 
it, it doesn't take a lot to sort of uh, look at what he's done in his career and, and kind of be in, in shock and awe of, of, of what he did. Um, and in 2011, when we met, I remember um, very well because he was like, you know, we have this young kid that's selling, you know, 20,000 albums a week. Um, that young kid was Luke Bryan. Oh my God. And it's just this phenomenon is Luke Bryan. I just saw him on Friday. You did? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the, the, you know, Jess kind of built this out to Irving and Corin or whatever, like that I was some great manager. We put out the Josh Abbott band's, um, third, second record, third record. It's that record on the wall actually right there. Um, small town family dream. Oh yeah, there it is. Um, and we sold 25,000 copies the first week. And, and everyone was like, hey, who is the Josh Abbott band? And who did this? How do, how does this happen independently? It didn't make sense. Wow. And to me, I was like, oh, man, I, we didn't do all that great. But it, it, and then Jess just pushed it out to everybody. Like, everyone should know who Bruce Kalmick is. And everyone should know who Josh Abbott band is. And he signed a big record deal. Um, and I got a lot of attention for, for being sort of the vehicle and the engine behind the business of it. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a fun moment. What about, let's talk about like, this is Austin, Texas. Like we're in Austin yeah. right now. What do you see for the future of country music in Austin, Texas? You know, I don't, I don't, that I, it's hard to put like a, a, a box over it in that way for me. You know, I would say our company is like centrally located in Nashville, but music is everywhere. Um, flying to Iceland to sign a band that no one ever heard of in 2000. 15 or whatever right you know that was a, a that was a big you know i see the world as like a yeah i see the world as like a it's global and with streaming it became even more of a accessible instantaneously accessible um so i don't i don't know austin and country music i'm not sure there's a tangible connection you know to be honest with you um, I think Austin and, and live music is, is that if, you know, if bands don't tour through here on their tour, they're missing a really great opportunity to hit fans that actually love live music. Um, but it's not yeah. the music capital of the world. It's the live music capital of the world. Right. So, uh, the industry on the business side, I think has an opportunity to become something at some point, but there's been like two or three attempts, um, and there's very little infrastructure. It's going to take somebody coming in and like, you know, I've said this for a long time, like just build out this massive facility, bring all of the music industry in here, which is, you know, it's, there's only a few companies really, you know, but they're big companies, bring everybody in and, and start collaborating and working together again, partnerships and collaboration. So I think there's an opportunity. I think WME has got an office here and CA has got a presence here. Mm -hmm. BMI has an office here. Yes. Texas is is a breeding ground for so many massive acts. Oh, huge! You know? So that's part of my my goal with my partnership with Corin is to make sure that we have our feet on the ground here and that we're we're paying attention to those things. Um, okay, so this next segment, um, we have two more things to go through real quick. First, I really like the opportunity for this to become a channel for um, to become a channel for your clients or your um, or your or your coworkers to be able to say something about you. Hmm. Um, so I want you to just listen for two seconds because we have a we have something that we we've we've put together for you. Oh. And um, I'm gonna go ahead and play this for you, and we'll be able to hear. Oh. 
And now, an interview with Chase Rice. All right, Chase, are you there? Can you test the microphone? Check one, two. Hey, hey. Hey, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we'll just get right into it. What kind of person is Bruce? What kind of person is Bruce? Um, well, simple answer is a good person. He puts his family before anything, and that's something that him and I talked about a long, long time ago, was uh, family comes first over anything in this music industry because the music industry will come and go, but um, he's got a son and a daughter that are always going to be there. So he puts them first, and anybody that does that, in my mind, is a good person. Totally and completely agree. Uh, my next question is, what kind of impact has Bruce had uh, as a manager on your career? Uh, extreme, I would say. Um, we've been together since day one. We've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Um, and it's been a very unconditional way to do a career. I've not been a down-the-middle, you know, mainstream artist a lot of the time. And and uh, we've, in a lot of ways, we've grown together. So we've had big impacts, I think, on each other um, as far as our careers go. And and uh, had a lot of communication times where we needed to communicate to get through a lot of stuff. But, um, yeah, I would say in one word, extreme is the impact that he has had on my career. Right. And so, like, in every relationship, communication is literally everything. So you would say that this dream has happened because of Bruce, right? Yeah. In a lot of ways, this dream has happened because of the work that Bruce and I have done together. Um, and it's pretty special to still be together after, you know, 10 years. Wow. A decade's a very long time to be together. I mean, how has your relationship with your manager strengthened over time? Well, just a lot of communication. Um, it's really the downs. During the ups, it's easy to, you know, be happy with each other. And during the downs is when... Everything's tested, and Bruce and I have um, been very good about, and Bruce has been very good about hearing me out when I have issues. Um, if I got an issue, I'm going to go to him, and we both are extremely honest with each other. Um, and that has brought out, I think, the best in him, and, and him, me, the best, him pulling the best out of me. Um, is just being able to communicate and and uh, be extremely honest with each other and, and say what, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Um, and Bruce has gotten much, much better at that with me, and I've gotten better at that with him. So, uh, yeah, the biggest thing over this much time has been communication. Um, as far as family goes, uh, you know, I... My dad always put family first. It was no matter what, family was first, came first. And so I've always had that mindset. Um, Bruce has that mindset as far as his kids are and wife are ahead of any success he ever has in music. And that's, to me, the right way to be. And when you both have that mindset, obviously, a family atmosphere is what you create. So um, we've always had that for 10 years. And, uh, that to me is the most important thing to both both of us, which um, you know says a lot about his character. And obviously, it shows a lot about his loyalty too. I mean, he's a family man, and he shows his family respect, and he shows you just the same amount of respect. It, it's it seems like such a healthy relationship. I, I have a, a couple final questions for you, but uh, my my final question really is: What goals do you look forward to achieving in the future with Bruce? Um. Yeah, we're we're part of our own festival that we've started, and that was Bruce, you know, bringing me 
into that deal called Cattle Country. We're doing that 2024 headliners like Eric Church and Whiskey Myers and I'm playing, Kaleo's playing, a lot of different bands that um, are flat out awesome that Bruce doesn't work with and then some that he does work with. Um, so that's an immediate goal is to have success at Cattle Country next year. Um, and then arenas. We, we've talked about arenas for a long time. If it happens now, that'd be awesome. Um, if it doesn't, that's okay because now I believe that I'm making the music that is me. It's it's a hundred percent me, and it's um, it's the best that I can do right now. Um, and it's not. I'm not just doing it to be popular. I'm not doing it to have a hit. It's it's me, and it's real. And uh, all you know, the last ten years working with Bruce has all led to this, and he's encouraged me to to do this and be myself and and that's a huge huge thing so that's why i say it's like man we love to obviously bruce and i've talked about arenas for 10 years feels like we're getting there um but if we don't at least we're making music that's true to who i am now and and uh that's something to be proud of okay and lastly you just had another studio album released uh let's talk about that for a second how important is that uh, in achieving those goals in the future with Bruce? Yeah, we just put out the I Hate Cowboys record, which to me is the best music I've ever put out. So another immediate goal for for me and for Bruce, obviously, being a, the manager, is uh, new music. You know, get everything out of the way that feels like it's holding you back and keep releasing great music because at the end of the day, that wins no matter what. Um, so that's uh, put out a new record early next year. Um, get ready for Cattle Country. Get ready for a big year with Dirk Bentley. And let's keep going. Thank you, Chase. I appreciate that. And I uh, wish you the best of luck. And congrats on the, the all the recent success. All right. So, I, I, I you know, I want, I want to go ahead and get in real quick here to the advice section. This is the last section. Cool. Um, for somebody that's an up-and-coming country music artist uh, and hitting that scene, without a manager, what should they be doing right now to get ready? Um, and what can prepare them to find a great manager? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, I think understanding who your audience is and and you know what I what I find to be super appealing about new artists that are that will reach out to us. We get tons of outreach, you know. Um, is not making music and putting it up. That's the easiest thing to do now. Um, anyone can do it in their their dorm room or you know their house. You know, yeah, you're popping out songs like this. Yeah, you can put out ten songs a week if you want. Yeah. What What I like to see is something actual. Like I'm playing shows. You know, I'm I've recently met an artist uh, who I don't think we're gonna work with, but I was really impressed with his 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 motivation and his, his ability to he, he's playing shows all over the Los Angeles area you know 20 shows a month wow just him and a guitar and every you know it it, it shows to me and and why we're not working with him is a, is a whole nother thing you know timing um but but it, it you know his music was good but seeing that I'm like this guy's ready to go you know yeah. if he can go sacrifice and do what it takes to do that now then you know he's gonna it's gonna suit him well later and i think it will um so that's what i i I love to see artists that are 
to understand what their home market is and go build it. Just one city, prove the concept with any business, all of our ventures that we're a part of, like it's all about proving the concept. It's not, you don't have to become a global brand to be an important, an important consumer package good, like feel free, you know, go break one market and do it in such a big way. And every other market in the world is going to pay attention to that. That's Texas Red Dirt Music is really a good example. Of yeah. That. If it works here, why wouldn't it work in France? Why wouldn't it work in Amsterdam? Why wouldn't it work in New York and Seattle? And that's that's how I see it. Yeah. If it works here. We just have to go do the work. We'll get there, but we got you got to get out of the 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 your home market or your state or whatever eventually. But but if you can prove that, then the rest of it's easy. For sure. And we have, we have two hometown acts or Savannah acts, mm-hmm. uh, Millie Kinner, and then also the individually twisted, both of them perform like constantly, consistently. It's one of the most impressive things like mm. to see them, to see them continuously, like finding new bars and new ta- like new people they've gotten their fan base. They've gotten, and it's, and it's not, you know, they're, they, they haven't gone that Nashville route where they're, you know, they're performing at every bar on, on yeah. Broadway, but it's, it is impressive to see because yeah, you can put out songs all you want, but to be able to see those people live and that, that tangible evidence that they're that they're that star, you're right. I mean, it's that's huge. putting yourself out there is a, is it's a huge step in it. We we've gone away from it. TikTok is the latest, but it's, there's been numerous vehicles that have prevented artists from understanding that. But growing up, like artists had to break their city, you know, and like now you just you're just trying to break on TikTok. Yeah, that's a mistake. And yeah, all these artists that are doing you know there are exceptions all over anthony's of the world but all these artists that are having all the success on tiktok couldn't sell 100 tickets you know in most major markets it's because they're they're you know they've lost focus of what's really important which is playing shows and i mean it's music yeah you know you know that's crazy that i didn't have in any one of these questions a question about oliver anthony but yeah <laughs> you're you're you've probably talked about it to exhaust over the last uh couple of months yeah i mean look he's just another example of authenticity totally really hitting the zeitgeist of the moment timing and real you know and he he exudes it it's hard to not pay attention to it so yeah he's done a, they've done a very good job um, my last two questions for advice is we've talked about this for a second because you said there's nothing more important than your family. Um, how important is keeping family and business separate? And can you talk about setting appropriate boundaries so that you can be there yeah. for your family? Yeah, it's the hardest thing that I've ever had to do is, is, is bridge that gap and, and work in, on both sides. You know, my artists become like family. And I say it all the time. I'm like, I spend sometimes more time with my artists and my own family. So I better like these people, you know, and that's a big part of how the culture is built. So there may be an artist that's doing very well that wants to sign with us that we decide not to because we feel like this may not be a good introduction into the culture that we've built. Mm-hmm. You know, it could bring the whole system down. Um, you know, so we we try to cut off dead limbs in that in that regard. Tree tree goes stronger, um, and 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 you know, it's like so so we try to work with artists that we do feel like are family. That way they're not intrusive on our own family time. But I push everybody on my team to grow their families, have a family, always pick their family first. That doesn't mean that I've always done that correctly. You know, I've failed at that so many times I couldn't count, you know, but I coach my son's, you know, select baseball team. I don't miss, you know, recitals and piano and 
for my daughter and my son. Like I, I, but I still, I'm still, I still miss things. The business that's, like I said earlier, it's one of the biggest problems, you know, on the mental side is where it takes you away from family. It's a battle, but you know, we start every day with that mentality that it's family first. And I feel like, you know, we're onto something and hopefully others will, will adopt that, uh, that sensibility too. Yeah. Um, the last question is, what's one important lesson that you've learned that everyone needs to know of how to become a successful manager? Mm, an important lesson. I, I, well, I think honestly it goes, I think it goes back to what I just said in terms of family, you know, to be successful as a manager, you can't be, a, you, you have to be happy. You have to have comfort around you. If you're operating in a vacuum, managing an artist or a company doing anything really for that matter and you don't have support around you um i don't think you can be successful so the more time you take out you know you don't you, you shouldn't be working 24 7 well as a music manager that's what you're supposed to do that's what everyone's told you and I've, i talk about this all the time I'm like it's false it's it's if, if you're not if you don't have your own life if you're not building family if you don't have a boyfriend, girlfriend, dog that you care about more than the job, then I don't think you can be a successful manager. So in my, in my opinion, you have to have, um, strong boundaries and, and, um, and that can include the artist being a part of your family actually yeah. at the end of the day, but you got to be happy to be successful. That's great. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, this is, you. this has been amazing. And I, I hope that, you know, with continued success, I'll be able to see a Red Rock show with you at some okay, point. And, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, th this has been really cool to, to hear your story. And I think people are going to really resonate with the idea of, you know, how, how partnership is so important and how family is so important. And, yeah, you've done a really good job of what you've done so far. And thank you for this opportunity to talk yeah. with you. Yeah, so, you. 